Welcome back to The Road Untraveled. I'm your host, Brian Hollins, and today we're joined by a special guest, Jeff Harbach, president and CEO of Coffin Fellows. Jeff's been an entrepreneur and investor since 2002 and has an eclectic journey as a founder, having led multiple startups, including two 7-Elevens, a luxury furniture store, an interior design firm, a golf destination club, and a private country club golf network. Jeff's also a graduate of the Coffin Fellows program, class of 2016. Jeff and I talk about some of the qualities he sees in the best VC investors, some advice he has for emerging managers, and an interesting take on where he sees the future of technology heading as more and more builders tackle big global problems not typically considered venture-backable in the past. I want to give a shout out to our partner and sponsor Square and the team at the Cash App for continuing to support our journey here at The Road Untraveled. Hope you enjoy this episode with Jeff. This is The Road Untraveled. Jeff, how are you? Doing great, Brian. How are you? Good. Thanks so much for being here. Uh, let's dive right in. Uh, a question I've been thinking a lot about today. What's a condiment you couldn't live without? Oh, gosh, a condiment I couldn't live without? Well, being a good Texan, it'd probably be queso. I mean, that's just, that's critical to what we do. And barbecue sauce. We use that a lot for <laughs> salads, for our meats, for everything. So I'd say probably okay. barbecue sauce and, and some really good queso. I love it. I love it. Now let's actually jump in. You're, you're the leader of the, of the Kaufman program. Um, really excited to just get your take on, on Kaufman, where it was, where it is today, and sort of where it's headed. If you don't mind just giving people a little bit of perspective on Kaufman and, and what you guys are up to, I'd, I'd love to start there. Yeah, I appreciate that. And it's kind of you to say I'm the leader. I mean, I really view myself as more of a steward, really. You know, we, I'm standing on the shoulders of giants that have come before me. And really, the, what makes our, our organization great are all the fellows themselves. But some context around what Coffin Fellows is, you know, we've been around for about 25 years. So we are a, what we believe is the largest and most connected network of global venture capitalists and innovation leaders in the world. So we span, we're about, you know, over 700 fellows across more than 50 different countries. And we're focused on helping individuals become the best version of themselves so that they can be the best support system for the entrepreneurs that they invest in. Now that's, you know, over 25 years, we've learned a lot about what that looks like. And so we have a two-year program that we call a behavioral fitness program where individuals come uh, through this. They meet with us once a quarter for about three days. And we go through some very intensive discussions and learnings and, uh, and some real introspection around what are the things that we are doing. And, you know, we kind of, we push, we put a real big mirror in front of your face and have you take a real deep look at yourself and then use that to have your really meaningful and authentic conversations around the room to help us really learn about how we best communicate, how we best learn and grow and listen so we can be supports for the entrepreneurs that we invest in. We do that over two years and then you launch into becoming a lifelong fellow, which is really the value of Coffin Fellows. It's this network of individuals that care deeply about supporting entrepreneurs, many of which have often gone on to not be investors anymore. Maybe they're founders or operators or in different parts of the capital formation ecosystem, but all of which really deeply care about innovation and supporting entrepreneurs. So that's, that's what Coffin Fellows is all about. Yeah, it's fantastic. I'm curious, you know, you talked about the 25 years of cohorts. If you were to look back at sort of cohort three, cohort nine, what are some of the things that are changing? And, and maybe as you look forward to cohort 40, where, where do you expect the program to be? Is, is it helping a different type of person? Is it catering to a different type of aspiring venture capitalist? How, how do you think about the actual uh, breakdown of the cohorts? 
as we look over 25 years, the, the classes have, have evolved. I mean, when we look at the beginning of Coffin Fellows, the reason why Coffin Fellows was created was it was started out of the Coffin Foundation. The Coffin Foundation was started by a man named Ewing Marion Coffin, who cared deeply about entrepreneurs. He believed that entrepreneurs were the true drivers for global economic independence and, and really creating value across the world. And the foundation started this Coffin Fellows program with the idea that in order to truly support entrepreneurs, we have to understand venture capital. Now, one of the things that he believed deeply and the foundation believed deeply is that in order to really understand entrepreneurial networks, we have to make sure that the entrepreneurs themselves are reflective of society as a whole. And so diversity, gender diversity, ethnic diversity, age diversity, uh, geographic diversity were deeply ingrained in all the things that the Coffin Foundation stood for. And that then really was uh, infused into what the Coffin Fellows program was. We, we took that and we said, well, then if that's what we believe about entrepreneurial ecosystems, we want to see that be the same in the venture ecosystems that are supporting these entrepreneurs. So from our get from the beginning, we've always been focused on all these different forms of helping the venture ecosystem be more reflective of society as a whole in terms of things like, again, age, gender, ethnicity, geography. Now, how it's evolved is, you know, when we started, you know, the very first class, the charter class of Coffin Fellows were 15 fellows that more or less had very limited experience in venture. And this was kind of their entry into venture. Many of them are still in venture today and are doing really, you know, great and wonderful things. But as it's evolved, you know, over the first 10 years, it was only US-based. Then the, my uh, predecessor, Phil Wickham, who was the CEO, uh, opened up the global aperture and said, look, you know, we need to make sure that we're focusing globally and seeing what's going on around the world in capital formation. And so we became, we, we kind of transitioned into more of a global aspect. And now what I'd say, 20 feet, where we are 25 years and how it's evolved to this point, is we've really kind of doubled down on all those aspects. We really care deeply about continuing to focus on all those aspects of, of diversity. And we're adapting the curriculum to make sure that we are focusing on exactly those pieces. We've also become much more, we find that while all of our fellows share this passion and are very driven about, you know, around supporting entrepreneurs and innovation, it's really what we look for. We also recognize that we're, we're dealing with probably a more by and large experience group of candidates that come through the program today. And this has been a bit of a subtle shift. It's not something that we, we've gone like, now we want to get people from just getting into the business to all of a sudden we're going to general partners. It's been kind of an evolutionary thing. And we still have people in every class that are, you know, some that are in their 20s and some that are in their 50s and all kind of up and down the spectrum of experience. But what we've realized is that in order to have these really deep and meaningful conversations around helping entrepreneurs throughout their entire journey, it really helps if you've seen a lot more of what's going on in their life and seen what's gone on in the in company building. So we've, we've tended to get a little bit more senior by and large, yet again, we'll still have in every class, we're going to have the spectrum of, you know, uh, people that are just getting into the business and then have been in for, for a long time. I'd love to just transition a little bit into kind of where you see the, the venture market going and, and, and specifically, you know, how you think Kaufman tailors the curriculum and, and, and some of the lessons towards, you know, helping people succeed in that future market. Yeah, I appreciate you asking. I get this question a lot. Like, what is the venture ecosystem or venture community going to look like 25 years from now? And my answer is, is this. It's that 
Look, I still believe that the big firms of the world that we all know are going to be there. They're going to continue to be investing in entrepreneurs. That that will not change. There's too much assets under management. They're, they're not going to go away overnight and really over the next 25 years. And they're important. They're important because they're catalyzing innovation in the different areas that they have been. However, I think that also, in addition to that, what we're going to continue to see is forget about the, the who for a second and just let's focus on the what. What is going to happen over the next 25 years? I believe because of things like Moore's Law and Metcalf's Law, you know, technology getting faster and cheaper, we're going to see more of the world's biggest problems solved by really great entrepreneurs that are building companies that are venture backable, that have not been able to be venture backable in the past. We're, we're going to see entrepreneurs solving things like, you know, mobility and healthcare and food and water and ag tech and all these, you know, energy, all these big, hairy world problems are going to start to be solved or addressed by great entrepreneurs using technology that may not have been able to be able to do that in the past. And if that's true, which that, that's my belief, if that's true, then I believe that the entrepreneurs are going to be solving those problems are going to be entrepreneurs that have experienced those problems. And those, the people that have experienced those problems are going to look again, more like society as a whole. And if that's the case, and I believe where the venture uh, ecosystem is going over the next 25 years is that it also has to adapt. It also has to be, it also has to be more representative of society as a whole so that we recognize the opportunities that are going to be built over the next 25 years that are truly solving the world's greatest problems and recognizing the entrepreneurs that are doing that. And we're seeing that. We're seeing that happen right now. We're seeing many more, the emergence of new and emerging managers, diverse managers coming into market, diverse managers getting funded for their funds so that they are then investing in diverse entrepreneurs that, again, they're just they are more representative of society as a whole. That's where I think the big shift is going to continue to be focused, and it's such a healthy shift. And how we continue to adapt to that, we are, we are big time leaning in on that. It's, it's what we've you know, stood for at the beginning, and we're going to make sure that our curriculum makes, and, and the things that we do with our fellows, enable us to have the, the important and authentic and real conversations around what that looks like in, in taking in all these new different forms of diversity into, this, into the venture ecosystem. Yeah, that's great. And you touch on emerging managers. We're going we're gonna to circle back to that in, in a little bit. But just to, sure. just to wrap up on the Kauffman side, you know, you yourself were, were a Kauffman fellow. And so I'm curious, you know, as, as you think about who you were before that program and, and who you are after and, and some of the biggest takeaways for you, you know, what did, what did the Kauffman program do for you? And, and, and what are some of the things that you think collectively the Kauffman ecosystem has in common that, that they sort of learned through that program? That's a really great question, Brian. I, I appreciate you asking that because it's so multifaceted. I mean, I, I could start with all the, you know, very topical, easy things like it's given me a, a, a tribe of people that I feel like I really connect with. It's given me some of my best friends, not only in the industry, but in life. It's given me a place where I feel like I, my passions are really celebrated and welcomed, but much deeper than that. And I guess the way that I would answer this most authentically is that the greatest thing that Coffin Fellows has given me is this, this awareness around learning and continuous learning. I mean, it, it teaches me every single day by the conversations that I have. I mean, it, I guess one of the greatest gifts that I've received from being a part of Coffin Fellows, both as a fellow and then on the team, 
is it's a, this deeper awareness for active listening and learning. And as I've developed that more and more over time, I mean, I, I like to say that I've now been able to go through the program, you know, basically 10 times over because I've been either a fellow or a part of, of uh, the, the team. I'm developing these tools, these learning tools that enable me to have real and authentic conversations that matter. And sometimes those conversations are hard. Sometimes those conversations are complicated and messy. But if you really approach it with a deep desire to learn and a deep desire to listen, you can really get to a great place where you help individuals learn their own triggers, understand my own triggers, understand how you know heightened emotions contributes to both the listening and the speaking in a conversation. And uh, gosh, I just, that's for sure. The, I, I think the legacy that uh, Coffin Fellows has left on me, and I think that's something that you would say is unique about Coffin Fellows around the world, is that they are willing to engage in real authentic conversations that matter and probably have more tools than most, maybe not than all, but than most, because we really focus on that. That's, that's really part of the behavioral fitness that we talk about. I was just having a conversation just today with a candidate and we had a conversation a couple of days ago and this candidate called me today and said, Hey, I'd, I'd love to give you some feedback about some of the things that I'm taking away from the conversation. And man, I, I'm so grateful to this candidate because they, they gave me some feedback that were things that were, they needed to be, they needed to feel like they had my trust and they needed to feel confidence and safeness to be able to share the things that they did because some of them were feedback like hey here's how I felt when you said this or here's a way that you might consider saying what you're saying differently and boy what a gift that was what a gift that that candidate felt the the safe place to be able to do that and the brave space to be able to do that with someone uh, like me when we've only really met once and that, that, that's an example of just continuing to really have this this gift of learning and growth every single day in this role. Yeah, that's great. The collective sort of logos in the Kaufman portfolio is, is ridiculous. I mean, the, the deals that some of the partners and, and people that have come through the program have done are exceptional and, and, and they would be you know top 5% of, of any fund in the market. And so I'm curious if, if you've seen traits or things that allow those people to win those founders. Or are, are there things that you think GPs do that founders are looking for? What, what are some of the things that you're picking up that, that allow investors to really win the, you know, those, those top competitive deals? Yeah, I think that, and again, this is going to show my own bias here. There's, there's lots of different ways to quote unquote, win the deal or building a real meaningful relationship with that founder where, it, where it's based on trust and it's based on that individual feeling like they can really you know, learn and grow with you. There's lots of ways to do that. Sometimes it's just, pure uh, intellectual horsepower. You're able to you know, whiteboard with this individual and bring your own expertise to really help uh, that founder in the, build in the business that she's building or, or really understand where they're coming from. And that's though, sometimes it's intellectual horsepower and the ability to brainstorm. Sometimes it's just the ability to listen and the ability to coach and mentor. There's, there's lots of different ways. I mean, you know, there's the value add piece has been so talked about in venture and everybody's trying to figure out their own, you know, kind of way of being value add. For me, and this is again where my bias comes in, the, the common thread of, of everyone that does this well and is really, again, creating those, those great relationships with founders is that they are deeply authentic. 
They really know who they are. They're comfortable with who they are and who they are not. And they bring that to the table. They show that to the founder so that the founder really knows. Like it, the worst thing I think for a founder to feel is that they, they don't really know who's going to show up or how you're going to show up in every interaction. You know, but if you are consistent every single time that you, you do what you say you're going to do, you tell them when you don't know, um, you tell them when that this may be something that you can't uh, help with. You also give them the very direct and hard news that sometimes you, you need to give or the direct feedback, because I hope that these, these relationships are built on trust to where an investor can have a really you know, direct conversation with a founder and on blind spots that they might have and vice versa. You know, the, the founder giving that to the investor. But it all, it all goes back to deep authenticity. And so I just, I really, I think that's the common thread that anybody that's doing this well and is building those great relationships that allows them to quote unquote win deals are just, are being themselves and are very comfortable being themselves and understanding their own, what we call your zone of genius, what makes you unique and special. Yeah, zone of genius. I, I love that. And we'll get a little bit into your pillars in a second here, but just quickly flipping to emerging managers, would love to get your take on emerging managers in 2021. So I, I think there was a 2017 emerging manager world and a, and a 2010 emerging manager world. This is the one that we're in now. And so your biggest piece of advice for an emerging manager going out in 2021, what, what, would, what would you say that is? My biggest advice, I think I'd say three things. Number one is figure out your why. You know, why are you doing this? Why do you want to be in the venture business investing in founders. Because what I would propose that they think about is that there are lots of other ways to make, to earn a living, to, to make money, and maybe even better ways of doing that, or at least faster ways of doing that. Venture is hard. It's, it's a hard, hard business. So figure out your why. What makes you truly unique and special? And what makes you super passionate about supporting entrepreneurs in, in whatever sphere you are based on your investment thesis. So that's number one, figure out your why. Number two, I'd say once you do that, back to my earlier comments, embrace what makes you unique. Don't try to be something that you're not. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't learn and grow and become something that, that you're not if, again, you're truly deeply passionate about that. I mean, I don't want to take away the learning aspect of, of this growth. And I never, ever want, want a founder to hear you know, kind of, or feel the words, you can't do this, or the cards are stacked against you, or, or this is, don't, don't even try because you can't. That's not at all what I want them to hear from this. Rather, I want them to embrace what makes them unique and really lean into that. What I'd say is number two, because you have to be differentiated in this market again for any LPs to take interest of in you and also any entrepreneurs to take interest in you. And then I guess number three with the emerging man, and by the way, still on that point, we're seeing this, we're seeing this happen with, you know, things like social media or new and different ways of creating uh, awareness, creating a unique voice, you know, getting, getting a following. So just embrace what makes you unique. And then number three, I'd say, stick with it. <laughs> this is hard. Being an emerging manager, being a manager, being a VC period is hard. You're going to get a lot of no's from LPs. You're going to get a lot of no's from founders. It's just, this, this business is rife with, with no's and getting, kind of getting your shins kicked every, every day and, and just stick with it. Just really, really kind of embrace the journey of, of all those different highs and lows and don't ever you know, doubt yourself. Just continue to push, push forward and stick with it. That's what I, 
I think that's what I'd say for emerging managers. Stick with it. I love that. I want to spend a, a, a little bit of time as we wrap up here, just getting your 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 pillars, you put out a, a really interesting sort of VC framework, and, and I think it was really compelling, and I, I find myself going back to it a lot, and there's sort of four critical pillars in it, and rather than me kind of asking a question on each, I'd love for you to just give it from the top and allow people to get a little bit of an understanding of kind of where it comes from and, and how you think it can be helpful. Yeah, we, we developed this and I've kind of developed my framework of thinking about this and just watching a lot of the best investors do what they do. And when I say best, I mean, oftentimes it's not just the what you would see on the most successful investors list or the Midas list. It's rather the best that are the most unique and the most thoughtful. And I've really boiled those down into four areas that I think the best investors do really, really well and that I think we all should model because oftentimes I get the question like, hey, if I'm going to you know, come do Coffin Fellows or even forget doing Coffin Fellows, if I'm just going to come to you, Jeff, or you, Brian, and ask for advice, you know, what, how can I be the next Kirsten Green? How can I be the next you know, Mike Maples or whoever you're, you know, the person is that you kind of put up on the pedestal that you want to be like? How do I be that next person? And I, I tell them, look, there's no black box of secrets that like, hey, do these five things or take this blue pill and all of a sudden you're it. But there's, there's this framework that if you follow, I believe will, will enhance your chances of getting there. And so it's these four things. Number one is I've seen the best investors in the world really focus on having radical self-belief and radical conviction, or in other words, knowing what their zone of genius is. And, and what I talk about in this, in this framework is the four zones of operation. And those are the top zone being your zone of genius. And this is shaped like a pyramid. So, you know, it's a very small zone, your zone of genius. The next is your zone of excellence. The next is your zone of competence. And the next is your zone of incompetence. Now, all of us have, you know, and live in all four of these zones, but clearly we don't want to spend any of our time in our zone of incompetence, you know, the things that we stink at. But too many of us spend too much time in our zone of competence and our zone of excellence and not nearly enough time in our zone of genius. You know, frankly, many of us don't even know what our zone of genius is or, or even believe that we have one. But I guarantee you that each of one of us does have a zone of genius. And oftentimes it's one that we think is not even, we don't even recognize that it's a zone of genius. You know, we tend as humans to overvalue what we see in others and undervalue what we see in ourselves. So it's really important to us to first identify what is that zone of genius? What makes us great? And it's usually based on our own convictions, our own passions. And, and I, the best investors really know what that is. That's number one. Number two is the best investors in the world take that zone of genius and they map it to a investment thesis that makes sense for them. Now, this investment thesis doesn't have to be static. It can continue to learn and grow and adapt. In fact, it should because our world is learning and growing and adapting, but it should still be based on your zone of genius, based on the things that you do really, really well. That's number two. And that's critical because you know we don't want to see managers, you know, from emerging managers to established managers, we don't want to see them only investing because this other investor has invested or because somebody else has given them validation. We want to see them investing in truly, you know, unique entrepreneurs that are trying to change the world because they believe in that, because they have that conviction. So that's number two is the investment thesis. Number three is this belief that the best investors in the world have a strong personal brand. And, you know, we define personal brand much differently than the world does. The world might say, that your personal brand is, you know, your social media presence or, you know, how many, you know, Twitter followers you have or many, how many blog readers you have or how many speaking engagements you do. 
And now I want to be very clear that none of those things are bad. In fact, many emerging managers today, that's how they are building their brand. And so that, that can be very, very helpful. And you know, I, I applaud the emerging managers out there that are being scrappy and using these new tools to be able to build their brand. At the end of the day, the way that we define personal brand is with all those things considered, is what is the promise of the experience that I as an entrepreneur have with you as an investor? How do you show up every single day to those interactions? That's really the way that your personal brand is built, is, is in the deep, the one-to-one interactions. You know, one of our fellows said, in any given year, you're going to have 1,000 to 1,500 interactions, and three of those interactions are going to change your life, but you have no idea which three. So how you show up to every single one of those interactions, that is your personal brand. And then the fourth piece of the framework is recognizing that after you know, 25 years in this business, we see that it's not necessarily the technical dynamics of the business that lead to success, but oftentimes more the human dynamics that lead to success. You know, we, we really value things like how you communicate, how you receive communication, how you employ active listening skills when you're, when you're engaging in conversation. You know, and again, I gave this um, example, but I'll, I'll kind of give it again. I mean, imagine you're walking in, you're an investor and you're walking into a board meeting and you're sitting down and that, you know, the founder or the CEO is at the head of the table and you sit down and you, you know, kind of you settle into your chair and maybe you lean back and cross your arms because that's just kind of the way your natural form of sitting or maybe you're cold, you know, wh whatever it is, but you've, you've kind of folded your arms. Immediately that, that CEO at the head of the table, she's, she could be thinking, oh my gosh, Jeff is grumpy today. He's upset that I didn't send him the deck 24 hours or 48 hours in advance or, or whatever else. Those might not be any of the things that I'm thinking, but immediately the nonverbal communication that I'm giving is closed-mindedness. Instead of sitting up with my shoulders back, sitting up to attention and really kind of having this open posture, that's going to communicate to that founder that I'm here, that I'm all in, that I'm ready to learn, that I'm that I'm super supportive of them and I'm ready to be, you know, really participating. That's the behavioral fitness aspect. That's it's those things are so subtle and so nuanced, but so important as we really create these and build these, these consistent modes of building a relationship with founders that lasts over time. So those are the ways that we think about these, the four pillars of the framework. I appreciate you running through all that. And like I said, it's, it's a framework I find myself coming back to and particularly that, that zone of genius, identifying it, I think is, is not a overnight task and, and, and really kind of grappling with where you think you are differentiated, where you can add a specific value, differentiated value for a founder is, is, is something that I think is really important to find as an investor. And so as an investor myself, it's, it's certainly something that I continue to work on. Jeff, thanks so much for being here. We're going we're to wrap up with, with a couple of rapid fires and then let you go. But I would love to just get a Kaufman Fellow that people aren't talking about. So they're not on the Midas list. They're, they're not at the top of, of some glamorous fund, but that you just know is going to be an excellent investor either today or someday. I hate to do this to you, Brian, but I, I can't pick any one of my, my favorite fellows. So I'm just going to say, look at everyone in class 25 and on down to 24 down to one. That, those are the ones that people aren't talking about. But I, I can't pick my favorite. My favorite, uh, my, yeah. my favorite I'll, I'll let you out on that one. I'm not letting you out on this one, though. Newsletter or podcast, something that you think maybe not everybody's listening to, but that you're getting a lot of value out of. You know, I, I again, I really like what the community funds doing. I, I like what a lot of the, the people are doing around bringing more attention to where the industry needs to go. So the people that are having real conversations about this, I think are important. Strictly VC is doing some of that. 
I appreciate some of the things that all rays are doing in those. We'll give Black VC a shout out as well while, while we're there. For sure. I, I love what Frederick and Elliot and, and Brian, you are doing at Black VC. And then, you know, one more that I just think a, a person that's just super thoughtful about the business is Mike Maples. I really enjoy listening to him. Yeah, that's great. Jeff Harbach, Kaufman, thank you so much. Really appreciate the time and so, some excellent insights. I'm, I'm really excited for everyone to get them. Thanks for having me, Brian.